I'm just reminded I'd promised to take my young ward, Dick Grayson, fishing, if you'll excuse me. Biff, Ben, Capel. It's time for another Batman Land. A weekly chat about the 1966 Batman TV show. There's a problem. Better let us handle this. Each week, we are joined by guests. I don't know who he is behind that mask of his, but I do know when we need him. It's Batman! We need him now. Where we discuss the Batman episodes to air this week on SBS Viceland. Let's go! My name is Dan Barrett, billionaire playboy and a digital editor at SBS. This week, I'm joined by the man who inspired seven of the Ten Commandments, and he's a fellow digital editor here at SBS, Nick Bassine. So happy to be here, Dan. So genuine. We are also joined in the studio by one of our digital journalists here at SBS and the 2016 LGBTI Journalist of the Year, Chloe Sargent. How you going, guys? How are you? Very good. Very happy to be here. And now, can you explain to us what the LGBTI Journalist of the Year is? How do you get that? What's the... Uh, I guess I uh, have dedicated a lot of my writing career to writing about LGBT issues. And um, yeah, as a queer woman, it's a passion of mine. So I just write a lot about it and it was appreciated apparently. So yeah, ended up winning that last year. It was really cool. So who's actually awarding that? Uh, the LGBTI Awards uh, began, I think it was actually their first year last year. So I was the first person to win that particular award, which is super yeah. cool. Who's going to get it this year? Oh, I just don't know. There's Are so you going to get it? <laughs> no. Or can it only I just... go to one person? Uh, I think I got nominated again, but like, I, you know, I don't want to be that guy. So <laughs> yeah, there's amazing LGBTI journalists in Australia. So. Is it like the Emmy Awards where if you won last year, you have to get on stage and present it to the next person? Oh, I hope so. Any excuse to get dressed up again. Fantastic. <laughs> I imagine the LGBTI awards, like, I'm sure that it's like a well-costumed It is, yeah. I've never had to dress up like that before. It was really... How did you dress? uh, I had to go buy a dress, which is, like, I (laughs) I don't... Like a gown. Yeah, like a a full-on gown. It was really... You don't strike me as a gown type. I'm really not. I'm really not. My partner was like, whoa, (laughs) what is going on? Um, But, yeah, like, I had to get my makeup done and my hair. It was bizarre. Absolutely strange. But, yeah, yeah, very cool. (laughs) Yeah, no, indeed. Uh, Now we are here to talk about Batman. We should probably do that. Well, for sure. Mm, yeah. Absolutely. We might as well. Yeah. yeah. This week we're talking about two episodes. There's The Curse of Tut, which aired originally on the 13th of April 1966, and The Ferraries in a Rut, which aired the day after, 14th of April 1966. Now, Nick, as always happens, I watch these episodes, I understand when they're happening, I like I can follow the story, but then five minutes later I scratch my head, I do not understand what the story was about. Please. Okay, so in these episodes, it starts with an ancient Egyptian statue terrifying a bunch of white people in a park. The completely incompetent and useless police think it might be a publicity stunt, but it's actually the work of King Tut. All hail to King Tut! Who used to be a professor at Yale University, but he got hit over the head during a student riot, and now he thinks he's King Tut. Hey, that's great, boss. I mean your royal highness. Batman and Robin try to figure out what's going on with the statue and end up in a sword fight in the park. That's not a sexual reference. It was an actual sword fight. You're a twit. King Tut then kidnaps Bruce Wayne and calls Batman out, but Bruce escapes from the hospital car and starts rolling towards a cliff on a stretcher. He doesn't plunge to his death, though. He grabs onto a pole. That was a close shave. Then he goes on TV as Batman. Astonishing news, Batman, but how do you know all this? And announces that he's headed to Egypt. Then he gets himself captured again by King Tut, who puts him in some sort of pebble torture chamber. Robin, who is dumb as rocks as Dick, performs advanced trigonometry to figure out where Batman is (laughs) and shows up just as Batman frees himself. So Batman didn't really need the help, but thanks anyway, Robin. Batman is well back. 
Batman. King Tut then steals the Batmobile and accidentally ejects himself out of it. Then Batman punches him in the face and cures him. He doesn't think he's King Tut anymore. Stunning. God, what a what a powerful two-parter. <laughs> okay, let's unpack this episode because there's a fair bit going on. First of all, the park. Now, when we're introduced, we see an establishing shot. It's clearly Central Park is the video footage they're using. But we see people getting about their business, Gothamites. And there's particularly this one couple in there. They're a young couple, clearly in love. And they're the first ones to really react when the big statue comes out. And the woman has like maybe the most emotional reaction where she is deathly scared of this very bland looking statue being wheeled out of the bushes. It was one of the most emotional screams I think I've ever seen. <laughs> That's I've, impressive. I've watched some very emotional movies and that, that was better. She should win some kind of award or something. I have never seen a less threatening <laughs> yes. statue talking in a park. Yeah, I'm sorry. The most emotional thing to the least emotional, like, yeah, yeah. yeah the most emotional scream. Oh, my God. It was. And it was a weird robotic confronting. voice. They weren't even threatening anything. It's not like we're going to, we're coming after you. It's just. Yeah, it's like, hi, I'm yeah. a statue. Yeah. What up? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Everybody listen, gather around. And what I got concerned about is we're looking at this young couple who are in the park. She has this overreaction. I'm wondering, what is the future of their relationship? Like, she seems like she's a lot of hard work, and I don't want to put it all on her, but she did overreact in a way which I thought was just a little bit um, unbecoming. I just, maybe she had a bad day, you know? Look, fair enough. Maybe she had a bad day. Yeah, I mean, the statue was just a straw that broke the camel's back. <laughs> uh, now, also someone who had a massive overreaction, Commissioner Gordon, where as soon as, you know, it becomes apparent that there's the Egyptian, uh, what was it? It was a museum opening. Yeah, yeah it was uh, ancient Egyptian antiquities, which is said possibly maybe five or six <laughs> times during this episode. Yeah, now we always have a go at Commissioner Gordon and Chief O'Hara because they never seem to know what's happening in the town. They're that terrible day. at their job. They're great guys, Alfred, but they can be a little heavy-handed too. They don't know about the dignitary who's always visiting, of whom is always going to be inevitably tied to the case that's happening. They don't even want to try to face the villain. They immediately reach for the bat phone. Exactly. But props to Chief O'Hara this week, and it's the first time I'm coming to O'Hara's defence on this podcast, he did actively come out and say, look, there is this museum opening. It's probably tied to that. So, you know, that's actually some amazingly good detective work from Chief O'Hara. So, you know, bravo. But that's then true. Commissioner Gordon, he suddenly goes in his anti-PR rant yeah. where he's like, is there no limits to the brazen affrontery of the press agent? <laughs> he's, yeah. he's got an axe to grind. Yeah. It was so, wild. And yeah. he doesn't go <laughs> to the museum to talk to the manager or whoever runs the local museum, like a curator or something. Instead, he's like, let's get someone from the board. Call my good friend, millionaire Bruce Wayne. Who is what? The finance guy yeah. on the board? <laughs> he delivered some cash. Yeah. He just looks after the money. He's just the money guy. But as he establishes, like, if you're looking for him, he is probably going to be at Stately Wayne Manor. This was a big week for getting inside, I think, a little a window into the personal lives of the completely incompetent police. The yeah. Commissioner Gordon quote that you mentioned and then also Chief O'Hara describes the, the voice of the statue as a greedy female voice. <laughs> yeah. And you can tell he's had some kind of horrible, dark experiences with women bossing him around or something. Yeah, like, I'm sorry your ex was so bad, dude. Yeah. But, like, that's just, <laughs> it was just a female voice. Because <laughs> she sounded like my greedy ex-wife, yeah. but she wouldn't share dessert. Yeah. It was terrible. Oh, I stole the chips off my plate. Rude. Constantly begging for sex. <laughs> so what Greedy we're saying women. Chief O'Hara is like an MRA guy. What? He's oh, men's rights. <laughs> yeah. He's a men's rights activist. He certainly comes off that way. Uh, 
Yeah. But he's so incompetent, you know, he's not really on message as much as an MRA guy would be. Uh, some of them are pretty incompetent, in all fairness. Yeah. All right. Well, there you go. <laughs> yeah, well, Reddit Sorry, wasn't... Chief O'Hara. <laughs> Reddit wasn't really around then for him to hone his game and actually get on message. True. But yeah, Commissioner Gordon, when he gets on the phone, he starts yelling at Bruce Wayne as though this guy who's on the board is responsible for the PR's like marketing attempts by this museum to spread their Egyptian. Like, what's going on? He also um, he makes one call to Bruce Wayne, and then a minute later he calls Batman on the other phone. <laughs> Alfred picks up both times. And he doesn't pick it up. How how could he not? Did he not figure out that this is the same dude I was just talking to on the different? Maybe all butlers have the same voice. I'm not sure. Fair call. I do like that Bruce ends up calling out Commissioner Gordon on his attack and he says, My dear Commissioner, I think you've taken leave of your wits. Goodbye. (laughs) Which I think was delivered fantastically by Adam West. (laughs) Now, the excuse of the week as they leave the the parlour to go and fight crime as Batman and Robin uh, he advises Aunt Harriet that he needs assistance in reading a book. And so the two of them go off to read a book together. I was dumbfounded by that. Yeah, if Aunt Harriet doesn't have questions by now, like surely this is Wait, they're just going off to read a book? He needed a hand reading a book. This new volume by Professor Red on ancient Egyptian cat worship cults. I'd promised the museum committee I'd look through it. Come on, Dick. I liked that Alfred put the book on like the silver platter to deliver to them (laughs) as well. It's like, here is the book that you desperately need to read together right now. (laughs) Is this kind of like when you're at Coles and like you have to put your bananas in the trolley in a certain way? Yeah. Yeah. It was bizarre. It was amazing. I was glad that after the previous week's episodes with the Maharaja of Nimpa, I was glad there was a lot less fat shaming because King Tut isn't slim. No. But they didn't take shots at him. So I felt like they got a little bit more progressive. (laughs) Episode by episode. Interesting you mentioned his weight because we find out, I think in the second episode, that he seems to be a vegan. So I can't remember exactly what it is that he's eating. It was like figs. Dates. And and figs, dates, and pomegranates. There we go. Oh, well done. Mm. Yeah. Uh, Don't yeah. remember what I had for dinner last night, right. but I remember that. <laughs> you get a Batman Land prize right there. Hell yeah. But he got really upset when Nefertiti started offering the like sausage sandwich that she had. Yeah, she had a hot dog. She's she eating was, a hot dog, yeah. She bloody loved that hot dog. Okay, can I put it out to you? And I was, I've been debating this since mm. watching the episode a few days ago. When does it stop being a sausage sandwich and becomes a hot dog? Because it was clearly a piece of bread with a sausage in it. I mean, I always see a hot dog as having to be an actual hot dog bun. No, I think you can just eat a hot dog. I think Mm. a hot dog is different from a sausage. Yeah. Is there like a hot dog frank is different to like the way... The the way it's processed. Yeah. It's it's ground up much more finely. A sausage is more chunky and a hot dog is usually thinner. I should have brought in a team from SBS Foods to yeah, help us through this one. <laughs> we need to unpack this immediately. <laughs> but she, it was weird that she was eating it in a piece of flatbread. Yeah. That is not the um, traditional method. Mm. No, definitely not. But I love that she, she was going to town on that thing. Yeah. So it's a weird choice for Nefertiti to be eating a hot dog. Yeah, she was she was very unhappy with the, the dates and the figs. Hated it. <laughs> Did not care for it. Did not care. They're probably fine for like one meal. Yeah. But, like, she's been trapped in that room with him for God knows how long now. Like, this is probably day, like, 75. Yeah, but also I feel like Egyptian people in general, like, in ancient times had way more food than just dates yeah. and figs. Like, there should have been more options for her. That poor girl, she's being starved. I don't want to, and I don't want to sugar explain to anybody, mm. but there's a lot of sugar in dates, figs, and pomegranates. Thank you for not sugar explaining. You'd, you'd give yourself a, a disorder or two <laughs> if that's all you ate. 
<laughs> yeah, Data Nature's caramel. She's just eating caramels all day, every day. Nefertiti. <laughs> We could have you filleted for that. Now, something I do love in this show is the occasional glimpses you get into the history of the characters. So in this one, we find out that there's a long backstory involving King Tut, where he was a history professor at Yale before right. he was struck in the head during a riot. And Robin and Batman have clearly encountered him before because Robin points out that everyone thought he died in that warehouse fire. That's right. Mm. Uh, you know, you know, that warehouse fire. Of course, yeah. we yeah. all know the warehouse fire. Is that conspicuously anti-student protest I, message yes. in uh, that backstory? Weird, I had, take a weird right-wing turn all of a sudden. Yeah, I thought that was bizarre. And I, I, I even mentioned last night when I was when I was watching it that it almost seems anti-Yale as well, like the yeah, person yeah. who wrote this episode, because <laughs> they, they keep mentioning Yale like he was a Yale professor. Yeah. This, at the Yale University, and there was that, a student riot. And who went to Yale and got expelled? Like, what was this? No, yeah. no, Cleveland Wright was a Vassar man. Yeah. <laughs> um, Vassar's an all-woman school. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> I had no idea. I was at least such a good Simpsons. reference. That's a good reference. Hey, it's I, Harvard. Harvard has the rivalry with you. Yeah, yeah. Is there a doctor in the house? The highlight of this episode is, for me, is Victor Buono, who plays King Tut. I love his hammy, overacting scene, chewing shtick. I think it's great. And he's also a good friend of Betty Davis. Oh, wow. Uh, he was in Whatever Happened to Baby Jane and Hush Hush Sweet Charlotte and in the show Feud. I forget the guy who plays him, but he's a big character. He plays Betty Davis' drinking buddy, and they yeah, drink right. whiskey. And he's... He was gay and closeted for a long time, but was kind of representative of Betty Davis's um, gay fan club. Yeah, she had right. A big following. Very camp. In the, yeah, in the gay <laughs> community. So cool. I thought that was really cool. Dance, you slaves. Dance for our amusement. Music. Bat music. You were taken with uh, Victor Guano. I was really taken with the performance of Ziva Rodan. Who's that? Well, she played Nefertiti. Oh, she was great. She was fantastic. Like, I could not have been more taken with her. A lot of my response to her was much the same as her response to Batman. Batman? He turns me on. He's so handsome and clean-cut and groovy. It's a kid's show. I, I think I literally screamed that at the TV when I watched that. I was like, this was a kid's show. <laughs> <laughs> Why? It's pretty ballsy. Yeah, gutsy. You haven't watched all these episodes. No, I haven't watched all of them. So, and I keep bringing it up every episode because I think I think we need to start paying attention to it as a society. As a society. But <laughs> women, the women on the show, especially the women bad guys, mm. they're always super turned on by Batman, can't resist him, and are very open about it. I mean, in fairness, come on. Well, yeah. He's very well put together. Yeah. Was poured into that outfit, <laughs> but as the series is going on, poured just a little bit more. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. The, the belt keeps getting higher and higher. Yeah. There are always tragic figures at the end, like how could this poor woman have committed these crimes? And it's so terrible how she's gone wrong. And this is another one. She's well, she doesn't get the lecture at the end, but she's super turned on by Batman just on the TV. Also, they're really dismissive of the women, and there's a line on it where she gets referred to as... Some hapless female entrapped in a life of crime. crime. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, that was at the start, I think, when Batman's like, because uh, when they say it's a female voice, Batman's like, I have to save this woman. She's probably being <laughs> yeah. held captive. And maybe maybe she just wants to be a criminal. <laughs> yeah. And let, Jeez, let her, Batman. Let her be a criminal. Let her eat hot dogs. What's yeah. the big deal? 
get off her case. Nefertiti, you abandoned wench. There's an interesting backstory with one of the flunkies. Uh, it's the character called the Scrivener. So they're these two guys of whom both of them clearly had no interest really in being the henchman of the King's Hut character. And yet they're still there. It was a paycheck job for them. But one of the guys, his name is Frank Christie, who played the Scrivener, which one of the two guys, he's got a really interesting story where he died uh, like a little while after the Batman and he died in a hail of bullets. Okay, and it was this unsolved mystery that was unsolved for quite a few years. And it's because he was sleeping with a woman and her husband or lover... Uh, had some sort of issue with him as a result. But it's this really interesting story. Like, start reading up on it. It's, it'll take you down a Wikipedia hole. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. Batman and Robin have the sword fight with the Scrivener and some of the other Again, henchmen. Again, not a sexual reference. No. But you get the feeling it wasn't the first time Batman and Robin have had a bit of a sword fight before. Is that... What Are we, are we still talking about the same thing? <laughs> <laughs> Look out, Robin! When I was watching it, what really struck me is how much it started feeling like an episode of the Power Rangers, like the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. Because you got this big, ridiculous, like, statue-type thing there and all these henchmen come out of nowhere and just got ridiculous people in a park wearing outlandish costumes. It was very hame on Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. Good call. Yeah, it does seem a little bit like that. Totally. Uh, I was happy to see that the Batusi is back. <laughs> that was the fantastic. The dancing was really good. Oh, yeah. I think the dancing, like, I was really happy to be the guest on this episode because the dancing that we saw was actually the dancing that was referenced in the Lego Batman movie. That was the scene in the Lego Batman movie where was you see it? him dancing. Yeah, that was it. That's fantastic. Yeah. Good work. Yeah. That's when, the when, kind it, of... when it started happening, I was like, whoa, <laughs> it's here. That's hot, that kind of high quality <laughs> referencing you get on this show. Yeah, yeah that's, why, that's why Chloe's the first SBS journalist to make it into the Batman Land Studios. <laughs> yes. Straight after the dancing, we do have Batman, of whom is captured and he's got the pebbles being dropped on his head yeah. to turn him into a Robin-like simpleton. Is that what it was supposed to happen? He's supposed to become dumb? Yes, yeah, so after a thousand, I think he gives like a lobotomy. But Batman managed to stave it off. He kept his wits about him by reciting the multiplication tables backwards. Thought you'd unhinge me, did you? I fooled you. I kept my reason by reciting the multiplication tables backwards. Thereby proving Adam West Batman is the best of all of us. Yeah, right. that's my big lesson I learned. That's, <laughs> big how you, that's how you keep focused, doing the multiplication tables backwards. Now, there was a big set piece in the very end of the first episode that I think we should discuss. This is straight after Bruce Wayne has been taking all the journalists around the museum because there's no curator at the museum, apparently. It's just Bruce Wayne showing off his knowledge of Egyptian artifacts. Okay, but straight afterwards, he gets kidnapped. He ends up in this hospital stretcher. Stretcher, yeah. Uh, and he ends up, you know, pushing himself out the back of this van going down to Hollywood Hills. First of all, epic scene. I think it was all very exciting. But also the entire scene seems to be manufactured purely of Bruce Wayne slash Batman's own doing. There was no reason he should have ended up in that situation. If Batman is as good as Batman is, like he could have avoided that quite dramatically, which makes me think that Batman is really in this for the drama. Like, Bruce Wayne is clearly a bored billionaire, sorry, millionaire, and he's just looking for something to do. He's not out there to save Gotham from crime. He's out there purely just to get some thrills. Drama queen. Absolute drama queen. Wait, what would Batman have done to prevent that from happening? Well, not get kidnapped to begin with. It was a pretty shonky ruse to find himself getting there. And then in the second episode, he deliberately swaps bodies with the Bruce Wayne dummy that they oh, create. that dummy was amazing. Holy taxidermy. <laughs> <laughs> 
I really um, liked um, Alfred's anti-gas pill as well. We saw him go gulp. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, was, that was stunning. Very effective. Very effective anti-gas pill. The King Tut character and all the Egyptian iconography around here, you look at it in 2017 and it feels a bit culturally insensitive to a certain degree. But I think maybe it's just important before we move too far with this podcast, we talk about this in terms of a cultural context. So this is in 1966, and this is coming off the back of about 10 or 15 years of big Hollywood epic movies, where there are a lot of things which were set like in ancient Egypt and really dealing with a lot of this iconography. So it's not really playing around with Egypt so much as with the big Hollywood films at the moment. So a couple of the films that we saw, I guess, leading into this, you got the big ones being Cleopatra. Yeah. Okay, which, have you guys seen Cleopatra? Long time ago. Yeah, I've never seen it. It's like a big gap in my movie knowledge. Mm. Um, Yeah, but The Ten Commandments is obviously another big one. And then you got some lesser films. So Nefertiti, Queen of the Nile, uh, which is like a 1961 film. And another one called The Pharaoh's Woman, which I believe was fairly um, heavy as an inspirational um, template for this as well. But anyway, I just thought it was important that we do sort of establish that it's sort of culturally a bit awkward now. But at the time, I think it was definitely tapping into something which doesn't really seem as relevant anymore. Well, I thought the cultural appropriation was more egregious with the Maharaja of Nimpa, which is a weird smashing together of Indian and made up culture. Yeah, that was just that was straight out insensitive. This is was a little cartoonish and ancient Egypt, like it's not even cultural anymore, it feels like. It's just it's like a theme park. Yeah. It's been well, I guess it's been turned into that. Yeah. Unfairly, I suppose. Yeah. I mean the people that turn it into the theme park are white people taking advantage of the culture though. Which, you know, episodes like this are a a bit of a relic of its time kind of situation. It's Yeah. You know, cultural appropriation as a term did not exist then. But, hey, they were all white. <laughs> all of the ancient Egyptians in this. Yeah, and so- as the Egyptians used to say, mm. if it's not white, it's not right. Of course. Do they really say that? Uh, I, I might have read, read that somewhere. It might be in that Nefertiti movie. Now, Chloe. Can I Hello. call you Chloe? Of course you can. Um... <laughs> What is your relationship to Batman? Who's your favorite Batman? Who who did you grow up with? Who do you think the best is? Oh, so I guess um, I'm 26. So I was at the right age when the sort of Batman and Robin, Batman Forever, that those kinds of movies. <laughs> okay. Before I had gotten to the age where I looked at them and thought, this is super cheesy. I was at that exact right age where I was like, this is awesome. Oh. So, so I... So the first time around, you loved, you liked those. I love those. I was oh, just at the great. right age, whereas nice. my partner is a few years older than me and he was at that right age where he he said to me that it was the first movie that he ever remembered going to see in the cinemas and thinking this is bad. <laughs> <laughs> so he, he is the 99%. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So uh, those are the ones that I grew up with. So, you know, Jim Carrey is the Riddler and... So when you think about Batman, who is the Batman you have in mind? Is it then Val Kilmer? Val, uh, Val Kilmer was the first one I saw, yeah. yeah. But, um, is he you know. who you sort of consciously think about as being Batman? Uh, no, I think uh, who I consciously think about as in like... Uh, like Word association. A, yeah. Batman. Who, I think who comes of, up in your head? Unfortunately, it's George Clooney. Wow. That's <laughs> Kill me. amazing. Kill me now. No, that's great. <laughs> In fairness to Clooney, because I love Clooney. Yeah. And maybe sure. I've got Clooney colored glasses on, I'm mm. not too sure. But Clooney, I think, was a really good Batman. He was just in a terrible movie. He was in a terrible movie. Yeah. I, I've watched those movies again recently, and I realize now 
after watching them many years later that everything that I loved about those movies is purely nostalgia. Like, there is nothing good about those films. <laughs> now, you are a really big Batman fan. Yeah. When I first mentioned we were doing the Batman Land podcast, you were the first ones to get really excited. Yeah. So I've been very keen to get you in here for a while. But what is it about Batman that you are drawn to? Like, is he your favourite superhero? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I think, um, I don't know, like growing up in my uh, childhood, I was quite a tomboy and for some reason Batman was just the superhero for me. <laughs> he was the superhero that I chose and maybe it was because those were the first superhero films that I saw. Mm. But, um, yeah, no, Batman's always been my my number one for my entire life. I, I'm not sure what it is. I think... One of the big things that I loved about those movies as a kid was just the campness and I think I appreciated that in a superhero context for so long. Even seeing superhero movies after that, missing that, I, I missed it. You know, I liked the campness. So uh, you're, not, you're not into the current super serious DC? Um, I love those. the Dark Knight series, obviously. Christian Bale's probably my favourite Batman mm-hmm. now. Um, but, like, obviously those that trilogy is phenomenal. Now I have to admit I still have not seen Batman versus Superman. Oh. I refuse to. Oh, I actively refuse to. It is terrible. <laughs> <laughs> you haven't seen it. I actually think Ben Affleck is one of the best Batman. Yeah. And whether you like that interpretation of Batman, but mm. as a performance, he actually visually looks like Batman sure. in a way that I don't think has been captured by anyone else really. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, his jaw is more square. Batman, Bruce Wayne's a bit more beefy, like like. Ben yeah. Affleck, but also still really cut. Incredibly cut. And handsome. Very handsome. <laughs> you can just get lost in his eyes, Nick. <laughs> you get lost in his dreamy he's a dream, eyes, He's a dreamboat. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. That's very fair. So what do you usually consume? Are you a TV? Are you a, like a comics Batman reader? Like what's your I'm chosen a, Batman a, delivery system? Uh, TV movies. Yeah. yeah I, I would like to read more comics, but I find that there's very little hours in the day already, so... <laughs> And you knew the Batman TV show. Like, this isn't your first time watching 66 Batman. Definitely not. So when did you first come across it? Because Batman's been hard to watch in Australia for quite a few years. I came across it through someone in my family. I can't even remember who it was now. I think it might have even been my granddad. So you watched it as a child? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Are you going to watch the Justice League movie? Yes. So... You're skipping a chapter <laughs> by not watching Batman versus Superman. Look, all I'm going to say is is that my partner went to go see Batman versus Superman and he came home that night a broken man. Wow. <laughs> he just sat there in silence, just devastated. So but I've been terrified to watch it. Also, the best thing about it is the introduction of Wonder Woman. Yeah. She's I, great in it. I really, I, I kind of wished from what I've been told about Batman versus Superman, if we had kind of like erased the Wonder Woman intro in that and the Wonder Woman movie where we see Bruce Wayne deliver her the letter at the start of Wonder Woman, if that had been the intro, that would have been phenomenal. I feel like that would have been really, really cool. Wait, what are you saying? Like if Wonder Woman was the intro to that chapter of movies. Oh, instead of... Instead of Batman vs Superman. I see what you mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Sorry, I didn't explain that very well. Um, No, she was the best thing about it. Ah, phenomenal. But um, you saw the Wonder Woman movie. Yeah, oh, yeah. Of course, of course. I cried. I got really emotional. Did you? Which <laughs> part? Oh, multiple parts. The part where she's running through the battlefield. The battlefield I was, that was um, great. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> I need a moment. Pause that, the movie. <laughs> that's fantastic. Yeah. Super emotional. I watched it again recently when she goes into that. She's in the closed space, kicking a lot of ass, mm. doing the on her side, on the knees. And, yeah. Um, all the kicking. I'm not describing it that well. No. But it was a lot of fun. 
She did some kicks. She did. <laughs> okay, guys, we are at the end of another Batman land, but as we always do, we try to think about the lessons we've learned from Batman this week. Nicholas, do you want to kick us off? What did you learn from the Bat guy? As discussed, Nefertiti eats hot dogs, which King Tut is not into. He calls her an abandoned wench, which just seems pretty harsh for a hot dog eater. Mm. Queens consume nectar and ambrosia, not hot dogs. I didn't know that coming in. I figured a queen could eat whatever she wanted to. Apparently not. Nectar and ambrosia. Miss Sargent, what did you come across this week? What was your takeaway? So uh, I learned that if I ever choose to grow a very tiny beard, then I have to get a very tiny comb for it. <laughs> and uh, the other thing that I learned is that I'm about to go change my Twitter bio to, uh, I wish to peruse the news. Yes. That's <laughs> a great Twitter Incredibly bio. good for a journalist. <laughs> Um, I just learned a lot about Commissioner Gordon this week. I learned he's a massive Debbie Downer. He doesn't have faith in the resource of the health system. He's upset at the taxpayers for not wanting to pay for it at all, even though he's more than happy to sit back, allow Chief O'Hara to collect a salary by sitting in the office all day with him doing absolutely nothing. He's terrible. He's just not good at this. No, he's the worst. And yet you look at the streets of Gotham, they seem very safe. Yes. He's lucky to have Batman, honestly. Almost um, studio set-like <laughs> in their safeness. Mm. Sorry, what are you trying to say? Uh, it's a pretend show, right? They're pretending. <laughs> <laughs> okay, guys. Oh, we're really going to have to end this week's Batman land. Wow. There have been some revelations here that I'm not comfortable with, quite frankly. <laughs> no, we have to go home and rethink some things. <laughs> Well, um, Nick, if you've got some more controversial ideas, they can probably find them on Twitter. Where do they do that? Hit me up at at swordfighting. <laughs> uh, at Nick Basim, sorry. And Chloe, I'm sorry to inflict Nick onto you with this. I don't even know how to process it, but you're on Twitter as well, right? Yes, I am. I'm on Twitter at, at Sarge, but please do not at me with these controversial Batman ideas because I'm not here for it. Yeah. <laughs> No, I'm not here for any of this. Uh, next week, we'll be back with a new co-host, but people can find me at the Dan Barrett. So do that. If you like this podcast, subscribe to it, tell your friends, and leave reviews on places like Apple Podcasts and Overcast. Helps other people find the show. Big thanks to Nick Bassine and Chloe Sargent for being in the Batman Land Caves with us. We'll be back next week, same Batman Land time, same Batman Land channel. 